0: So, folks, this is Lisa Flicker with the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have a great guest for you, Andrew Staniforth, and Andrew is with Assembly OSM. Uh, They are a very interesting, modular company that is changing the way people build buildings. And I think you'll find that he is not only intelligent, but innovative and his career has just been something that I think everyone should hear about, learn from, and enjoy. So please like, rate, and review the podcast if you get a chance, share it with all your friends, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Peter. great to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing?
1: I'm great.
0: I see you're in New York. your New York office today.
1: Yes, I'm in the office. It's, it's a quiet day in the office. A lot of people are actually out in our facility. Um, but yeah, I'm here holding down the fort.
0: Excellent. Well, as a lover and believer in New York City, every time I see somebody in their office, it just it makes me feel good. So yeah,
1: no, I agree. I agree.
0: We're, we're all hopeful. But you know, the, the purpose of our podcast is we like for our listeners to be able to listen to folks like yourself who have successfully created a real estate career. So yeah. what I'd love to do just do is talk to you a little bit about like when you were back in college um, and I just peaked and I saw you were a computer science major, yeah. was, you know, was that kind of a something that was in the forefront of your mind, like going into a real estate career?
1: Definitely not. <laughs> um, so I just a little bit of background. Both my parents are engineers, right? So, you know, Bell Labs engineers, really, really smart people. And I think I had that foundation of engineering, but knew I didn't want to be an engineer. And so when I went to school, I went to a dual degree program at Penn. So I was able to do computer science, but I also studied real estate and finance. Um, And I actually made the switch into real estate and finance after My first internship, which was at Forest City, um, and I actually got to work on the tallest modular tower uh, in North America. And that really just like really piqued my interest in real estate and how specifically how technology and real estate for the longest time have been like polar opposites and how there's this opportunity to bring them closer together.
0: That's interesting. And I'm sure... At the time, graduating from college and going into a real estate company, you had no idea that these pieces would all come together. But I guess you saw a problem.
1: Yeah, I I saw I saw almost a greenfield opportunity. Right. You know, I I started with a lot of um, naivete, I guess, like didn't know what I was getting into in the broad world of real estate. I think as people enter real estate, we realize it's very complex and a lot of players. Um, but I think I started with this excitement that this industry is about to change. And that was 10 plus years ago. And I think we're just starting to see some of that uh, be borne out. And I think that's, that's what got me hooked um, in the earliest stages is like, this industry is so important to so many people, right? It's where we live, it's where we work, it's how we interact. But the way that we build and the way that we operate buildings has not changed, and that's a huge opportunity from a professional career perspective to actually have impact in something that touches so many people.
0: I couldn't agree more. So when you when you got to Forest City, was your was your role in development or was it in finance? Or I mean, obviously they overlap. But what was yeah? Your role?
1: Um, so I started um, on the development team, uh, and Forest City operated the development team kind of differently than a lot of companies, there was not a lot of silos between the team managing the architect, the team managing the contractors, the people running the model, the people managing the construction loan. It was all handled within the development team. And when you know I started, I was able to wear all those hats, obviously in a very junior position, but the exposure across all of those different Disciplined very early was really exciting. So started in development, but it was a very cross-functional development role.
0: That's great, and you know it's interesting when I talk to people who have college-age kids, like my my friends, and they're and they want to go into real estate. I feel like everybody thinks of like either they think of a broker or they think of like Sam Zell, right? Like I want to be the guy who like starts this business from like my dorm room, and now all of a sudden has. And I yeah. think the industry's changed so much. Yeah, but- the,
1: the, there's so many new avenues, too. Right? <laughs> like, right. um, And and it's only, I think we're only at the tip of the iceberg in terms of what is going to, to change. And that, that's part technology. That's part sort of like a rethinking of real estate post-COVID. There's the whole climate change angle where we have to decarbonize real estate, all of those are going to create huge career opportunities, uh, for people entering the space, um, today.
0: We're definitely going to get back to that decarbonization because I think that's a, that's a big, but I know you went from Forest City over to Sidewalk Labs. I did. Which is kind of where you got that, the real technology kind of bug, I'm sure. How How did they get you over there and what was the role at Sidewalk?
1: So, um, I, at Far City, I worked on two arenas. I worked on the end of the Barclays Center and the Nassau Coliseum. And I knew that if I stayed in the arena track, I would become the arena guy. Um, And I knew I wanted to do something different. um, And I had been watching Sidewalk sort of like from the sidelines. Like I'd gone to a couple of their talks and they had a role that was on their development team. And I was like, this is perfect. Um, and I went full steam ahead uh, to get that role. I called everyone that I knew that knew anyone at Sidewalk to lobby and say, hey, have you heard of this guy, Andrew? He's really interested. He has a background in real estate and computer science. Um, and from from my perspective, the the broad like excitement of Sidewalk was the mission was use technology to solve urban problems right like very very simple and that is such a huge statement because it captures like having robots in tunnels delivering your packages under a city but it also is how you construct you know buildings with the next generation of materials like tall timber but also even how you deliver things like you know health services academic and school and education so it was such a broad thing that I just like you know world was or oyster coming in there. And my time there, you know I was the guy who had real estate experience, execution experience, construction experience. And we had all of these really, really smart people with these great technological ideas. And my role was how do you actually execute on that? What is the plan to have you know robots under the ground? you know, delivering tunnels. And I was almost at times like the whole poker, like, okay, we want, you know, tunnels under the ground, but we have to dewater. We need foundations for those tunnels and really trying to bring the ideal of what technology can do with the reality and building the roadmap for how you can do that. And obviously like the stuff we were doing was so big that I only scratched the surface of what uh, was possible on that. But it was very exciting to have, sort of that greenfield thinking for, for a couple years.
0: That's And were you always entrepreneurial at heart? Was that always something that you kind of thought you'd have, you'd run a business, you'd build a business because yeah. I know you started, you started a business kind of.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I'm the type of person that every time I have a hobby, it ends up turning into like a side hustle business. <laughs> uh, so, so um and that's actually what happened with, um, I think, the company that you're talking about. It's called Therm. And, you know, my my partner at the time, well, still my partner, but we were dating at the time and his apartment was either freezing cold or boiling hot, like standard, like New York City walk up. And I was like, why is there not a device that can, like, you know, control a, a radiator like a Nest thermostat? So I started tinkering it, tinkering with it. And then ended up getting a grant from NYSERDA, from New York State, to work on it and then formed a business around it, got patents around it. So it started as like this little tinkering hobby and just morphed into a business, Um, which like, it's not great to have your hobbies always turn into businesses. It kind of (laughs) ruins the hobby part of it. Um, But yeah, it's like a part of how I'm wired is to, to think about how do you build something and then how do you commercialize it and expand it and, you know, get it out into the world.
0: It's funny. I I feel, you know, similar because I feel like that's been in my trajectory in my career as well, where I've done a lot of that. And recently I started taking singing lessons. One of our podcasts, Will Blodgett, was talking about his singing lessons. And I've been going to his singing coach. And I said, the beauty is I know I'll never turn that into a side hustle. (laughs) Nobody will ever pay to hear me sing. So it is a pure.
1: That is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to find find one of those.
0: So I think the key is to find something you're not good at, although I think you're probably good at everything. But find something you're not good at and try to enjoy it.
1: I'm definitely not good at singing. Uh, definitely well,
0: not. <laughs> feel free to come along anytime then. Okay,
1: okay. I might do that.
0: So what, ha- what happened with Therm? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Oh, So Therm? Therm is sort of still alive. The thing that happened was I started working on assembly. Um, and assembly is a big, you know, uh, beast of a mission and a company and we're doing real things. And it sort of like kind of got parked. Like it's, you know, still it, you know, right before, uh, I guess summer of 20, sorry, winter of 20 into 21, we did like a pilot test, had them out in people's radiators and like they worked. It was great. Um, but you know it's sort of just like life and bandwidth took over with assembly, and yeah, so anyone listening that wants to work on a really cool radiator idea like hit me up um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we can we, you can join forces on that
0: excellent, excellent. We'll find you a nice uh, a nice smart young engineer to help you, yeah. <laughs> So tell us about Assembly. Tell us about how they brought you over, what the mission is. And then I'd really love to dive into some of the ESG, the sustainability aspect, because I know that's what our world. I mean, you see what's happening in Canada and our air. And we we need your help so badly.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So Assembly is a company working to make urban development more scalable and sustainable. And the way that we do that is by building the next generation of modular construction. Um, And so when people think modular construction, they they typically think low-rise buildings, maybe mid-rise buildings, and they also think sort of like cookie-cutter, prison-esque design. And our approach is fundamentally different than that. We are building for the urban market, which means design is super important. Our buildings are custom because... If you can find a nice greenfield location in the city, like great, but that doesn't exist. You're building an infill lot that are funky and split zoning. So you really have to have the ability to have high design and customization when you build an urban environment. And that's what Assembly is focused on, right? Building scalable, custom high-rise buildings to really make a dent in the climate crisis and the housing crisis.
0: And so how did they convince you to come over there? What was the yeah. selling point to Andrew, who I believe, you know, has a lot of potential in whatever you did? What what yeah. was what was it that yeah. brought you over?
1: So the first project I mentioned that I ever worked on was the tallest modular tower in North America, 461 Dean Street. Um, and that project was a Far City project, and shop architects was the architect. And I really saw on that project firsthand. The potential of modular, but also the limitations of applying the old school modular techniques. And when I say old school modular, I just mean doing construction under a roof. That is what a lot of people do when they talk about modular, right? They move the activities that happened on site, move them indoors, and maybe you get a little bit of efficiency savings uh, or efficiency bump because it's not raining on the inside but it really is just the same thing. And we learned that doesn't work when you're building high-rise urban buildings. Um, and shop architects really had the same realization that the techniques and approach that we used on 461 Dean were not the right approaches when it comes to the urban environment. So they spent you know, years after that project was, was finished thinking about if we're going to build urban high-rise modular what do we have to change? And it really boiled down to, if you build something conventionally, use the tools of conventional construction. So Revit and all of those tools that we all know. If you manufacture something, you need to use the tools of manufacturing to capture the level of detail necessary to actually manufacture it. So we really built the company around using the tools and processes and software and techniques that Boeing and Tesla and SpaceX have used to create advanced manufacturing businesses with high degrees of precision and efficiency and bringing that over to our approach. Um, And I can go deeper into like what that means, but it really boils down to the software that we use and the level of detail we capture in our models, our our, digital models, how we manufacture instead of replicating construction indoors, we use a distributed manufacturing approach, which allows us to have partners throughout the world that make fully finished bathrooms and fully finished kitchens and the structure. And we just clip it together. And then the last is approaching the technical physical nuances of high rise construction and embedding that into the physical systems we designed to make it easier to overcome the challenges of stacking something 30 stories tall and having it go together perfectly.
0: And so if a if an owner comes to you and asks you to build something or create something for them, how yeah. what do they need on the ground? Do they need their own construction team that's that's versed in this or what what is yeah. it like for the owner?
1: So so the the relationship that we have with our customers, owners is Assembly operates as a design builder. So we will take on the design and the execution of the building. Uh, so we'll hold contracts for the architect of record, the engineer of record. If you want, you know, a design architect, if you want, you know, a Norman Foster design building, we'll partner with them to do the design. Um, so we'll hold all of those. We'll manage and hold contracts for all of our distributed manufacturers, so the people making the bathroom pods and the kitchen pods. And then we'll operate our assembly plant, which brings all that together. And then we'll also hold contracts with the conventional, you know, on-site partner, and those people through that contract will do the foundations, the stacking, and then the connections of the mods as you as you stack them up. But that's all within the assembly uh, contract umbrella. So from the relationship with the developer, the developer is still going to want product, project managers and people to run the models. But we take on a lot more of the coordination uh, on our side as opposed to the developer. So it makes it a little bit easier for them from a staffing perspective to get the building and we want to continue to make that as easy as possible you know one day we want to make it as easy as like buying the building with one click online we're not at that point yet and like especially in new york where you have all these nuances it probably will never be as simple as like buying a a tesla online but we really want to simplify and remove all the friction points between the parties in, in conventional development and construction
0: that's pretty incredible. I remember my, my son when he was turning 16 and he was getting his driver's license. He came to me he's like, Look, mom, I could just buy a Tesla with Apple Pay. I'm like, Well, maybe somebody can, but you cannot.
1: Yeah.
0: Have a Tesla show up in my front door. Yeah. Driver's license. So. That's incredible. So, are you building anything right now? What what stage are you in?
1: Yeah. So we we are we're building. Um, so we're actually working on our first project um, here in New York. It's going to be a uh, in Brooklyn in Fort Greene. It's our first pilot project. So we really found a site that was perfect to test all of the things that we hadn't tested in the past. So we we have done for years large scale prototyping. We've built bathrooms, we've built kitchens, we even built a full one bedroom unit um to test all the processes and connections. But this is gonna be the first time we're testing, you know, going through the DOB process, going through the logistics of getting the mods, you know, from New Jersey into Brooklyn and all of those things that you really learn by doing. And we, we're doing that on our pilot project right now. So our partners throughout the world are manufacturing those sub-assemblies right now. So the bathrooms, I actually just got pictures this morning from our bathroom partner uh, making the bathrooms, uh, kitchens, walls, floors, ceilings. Those are all being made throughout the world, right? We have suppliers as far as Poland and Brazil, but also a bunch of domestic ones making those chunks that come together in our facility uh, later this summer. And then we'll be stacking the building in the fall. Um, So that's a very quick turnaround on that one. And we actually just started working on another building that's perfect in our sweet spot, which is uh, 15 stories here in Manhattan. So that's really exciting that we're moving forward and um, really just moving to prove that the value proposition of what we're doing is is there. Um, and even on the first buildings, we're cutting about 30% off the time already, right? So these are our first projects, and we're already delivering such a meaningful time savings. By having this process
0: that's incredible I, so do you think that um, the time savings is because it could be done in a facility and you don't have to deal with the, the weather and the elements or is it because of the technology or both
1: it, so, so technology enables everything that we do um, but really like it boils down to running simultaneous activities right i can have someone making bathrooms while i can have someone making the steel structure and i can have someone pouring the foundations at the same time, where typically they'd be sequential. So I can pull all of that back. And another big thing that we've we've realized has big impact on the speed of an overall development project is the design. So because we have a lot of the connection details and things figured out already, because they're part of our systems design, when we go into a project, it's like we have a, a jump start. Um, so a lot of the things that take months of coordination and design, we have figured out right from the beginning of a project and we can spend the time on the things that people want to spend time on. Like what's the look and feel, what's the, you know, aesthetics, how are you going to differentiate this in the market rather than focusing on like coordinating between your MEP and your structure.
0: And I mean, it might be too soon to tell on these because they're the new ones, but, but projection wise, where do you think the costs of a development would fall out from yeah. a, if I'm a stick builder here versus the modular
1: yeah so so our our target and kind of where we are right now is cost parity with conventional so we want to be able to deliver a better quality product faster at the same price that you would build conventionally so when you think about from the developer's mindset especially in a high interest rate environment time is money right that construction loan is ticking And if you can shave off a year, 18 months off an overall timeline, uh, that's really meaningful. That's where the savings and the economic benefit comes to the developer. Um, And then we, over time, will be able to continue to drop that price down as we scale um, and open up new business lines and all of that um, as we grow and enter new markets and and stuff like that.
0: I would love to see, I don't know if you've created any time-lapse videos of your projects, but if you have one. I would love to see that sometime. Yeah. it up with the podcast if you have it. So
1: on on the website, we have the the time-lapse of our first uh, one-bedroom unit going together. And uh, we're definitely going to do a big push on the time-lapse for the first building that we're we're doing this summer uh, to really capture that and show the world how, you know, things, you know, everyone says they clip together like Legos, but that's kind of what they do, right? It's like you spend a lot of time Engineering and designing and connection details that just clip, um, and that makes everything just much easier and streamlined throughout the process.
0: So, all of you out there who always loved playing with Legos, here's the career for you, right?
1: Yeah, it, it really. It, it, we we actually uh, have a lot of like tinkerers and like Lego builders and like you know people that that craft and have wood shops and like a lot of makers, and I think if you went 30 years, 20 years behind in everyone's life, everyone was playing with Legos in the company.
0: I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, just, you know, it's interesting on my block here, I live up in Westchester and two ha- on the corner, two two pieces of property, they fl- they gutted the properties. Yeah. And one of them, they have been stick building for probably about a year now. And the other one, one day, this like, I don't know, probably like $4 million house just showed up. And we oh, were like, really? Oh So it was pretty amazing to me. And just looking at it from a design perspective, because what you opened with is what I always thought. I think of modular. I think of like, you know, that kind of very institutional, Mm -hmm. industrial, almost looking box that arrives. And that was not this. And I watched them clip it together. So it was pretty fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's changing. It really is. And And a lot of that transformation is through technology. You can have a lot more customization and design as part of the end product by having the technological tools that we have available today.
0: I'm sure. So what do you do for fun?
1: Wow. I run a startup. (laughs) Um, no, you know, my, my partner and I we're very close with our family. We spend a lot of time, uh, with our family, um, and our friends, um, you know, it's kind of the cheesy answer, but that's kind of, you know, running a startup family and friends, you you don't get much more than that. Um, but yeah, you know, my family's in Jersey, his uh, is up in Westchester. So we, we see them a lot.
0: Oh, that's nice. Does yeah. he work with you or no?
1: No, 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 no. He He's an architect. Um, so we talk shop a lot. Um, but no, he does um, corporate interiors for a big architectural firm here.
0: Nice. so there's a there's a connection there and I, oh, yeah. I like that I think it's nice when you can kind of talk shop if you just if you don't do it too much right it's
1: yeah 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 uh, we definitely do it too much
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my husband and I too I think that's part of it but yeah. tell me a little bit about I think right now the you know the sustainability of buildings is just at the forefront of everybody's minds even people who I think were not believers now that they see what's happening in the world yeah. they're like yeah i yeah. kind of I kind of yeah. see it. so where do you think today and where do you think this goes? yeah, from a sustainability perspective?
1: so so I think from a sustainability perspective, what has happened in the last few years, right? like very recent, is we've gone from sustainability, environmental, has gone from a nice to have to a need to have very quickly. um and because of that transformation, it has gone from something that was sort of like, societal benefit, you know, to something that actually impacts your economics and your pro forma and things in New York like Local Law 97 are really turning sustainability and uh, carbon into an economic problem. Um, That creates a lot of, you know, pressure to make change. Um, And I think a big realization that people have had in the industry is, you know, when you Maybe three years ago, five years ago, when you thought carbon emissions, everyone thought cars you know you immediately thought, thought cars because you think gasoline emissions you know um, and all of the push had been on electrification of vehicles. when you look at actually the carbon impact on uh, on emissions from real estate, it's forty percent from buildings forty it is wow. huge, absolutely huge um, and a huge chunk of that, like um, almost a third of that, uh, a quarter to a third of that is from construction and development. So that works out to like you know eleven percent of the overall construction emissions in the world, across all sectors from construction. that is more than trucking in the in the world. So when you think about like the impact on changing the way that we build, Or decarbonizing buildings, it is going to have a larger impact than taking every truck off the road. Um, And I don't think people think about it in that mindset because it's very visible carbon emissions coming out of the back of a truck. Um, It's not easy to link the operational energy of a building to the electricity and peak hours of running that electricity. Okay, maybe it came from a coal plant. And like, It's so far removed that you don't see the emissions and you don't connect it to the use of that building, but it is. Um, And I think people are starting to make that connection. So where assembly comes in is we focus on both the operational energy side. So how do you reduce the carbon emissions and energy use of the building during its life? So that's the most sustainable uh, MEP and HVAC systems. We're actually doing passive house on our first buildings. So on those buildings, we're going to cut energy use by up to 65%. It's a huge reduction in the actual energy of the building. But the other side is on what they call embodied energy. And that's the energy and carbon that goes into actually producing all of the stuff and the process of building that building. And concrete is the biggest uh, polluter in embodied energy. Um, It's just a a nasty, in order to produce cement, it is actually very, very carbon intensive. And concrete is everything, right? Every multifamily building is flat plate, concrete, you know, cast in place. So we use so much. Um, So what assembly today is focused on is just removing a ton of the concrete from the building. So instead of having a concrete building, we do a steel building. And then by doing steel, we can actually reduce about 40% of the weight of the building, just materials coming out by going from concrete to steel. And that translates into about a 30 to 40% reduction in the embodied energy right out of the gate. So that's where we are today. But we have like much longer goals of reducing the carbon of the actual materials that go in. So we're actually doing an exploration with the University of Maine and creating bio-based replacements of our steel structure. So bio-based like, you know, timber pulp and stuff like that. Um, Looking at 3D printing things. It's probably not at the point where we're going to commercially roll it out right now, but thinking about how do we continue to drive down um, the carbon intensity of the actual materials. And the other big thing that's happening sort of across the world, less in New York right now, is the adoption of mass timber and tall timber and building skyscrapers with timber. Um, you know, we're, we're probably at the early stages of thinking about using that in New York. We're making like uh, uh, steps forward in terms of legislation, but there's a lot of things that have to really go into thinking about uh, timber and using it for high-rise buildings. That we're just scratching the surface on what that means and how do you do it safely and how do you actually you know do it in a way that is truly. Uh, sustainable and not just like filling glue and wood and stuff like that. So there's a ton of companies and um, academics focused on that. And we're really excited about where that's going to go, especially in markets like New York.
0: That's interesting. And you know what's interesting is also when you think about these things, there's such a heavy political component to, you know, to something like that. Right. And getting it, getting it through, into New York City and having them change the way they do things, I'm sure yeah. is always always an interesting challenge. But the nice thing is, as you start to test it, the yeah. proof will be in the in yeah. the final product, right? Yeah.
1: And, and, and I think you know, you you mentioned this earlier, like sustainability. A lot of the things that have have been political are becoming less political because everyone is seeing the 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 impact right you know no one in new york regardless of where you are on the political spectrum over the last few days is denying that there's an impact of climate change because the city's been orange for the last week like you know we are seeing it um and i think as you know it's kind of um it's unfortunate that it's come to a place where we actually have to like have some very very like clear almost disaster scenarios to move the understanding of of the problem but i think through these these moments people are getting it and it'll allow us to make it less of a political thing and more of a thing that we all have to get behind and and make a change
0: i agree with that do you ever do tours of your property i'd love to bring some of the uli folks to come down and see what you're yeah. doing
1: yeah 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 for sure we we um we, we do tours um, of the facility. And um, once the building is stacked, we'll bring people through. Um, I, I think once it's stacked, I'm going to be a glorified tour guide for a couple of months uh, bringing people through because it's going to be, you know, what we want to show off and really show people that like, yeah, we did it. Do um, you want to buy three buildings? That's going to be the pitch. But yeah.
0: Right. And getting people to do it if they see it, of course, is a see lot it. easier than, you know, Exactly see you kind of how it came together so quickly and all of that so yeah that that's incredible well um you look pretty comfortable and I, my partner chris always does this part so i hope i can do him justice but are you ready for the hot seat
2: oh my god oh. the hot seat is sponsored by kk reset kk reset is an hr management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture structure and path they do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs hr services and career mapping services they've collaborated with non startups and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities reduce turnover and preserve their brands they have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house hr program so they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T dot com. <laughs> I guess.
0: <laughs> All right, right. Ready, ready, as ready as you'll ever be, right? Yeah. Don't worry. Not, it's not that hot. Um, so we kind of touched on the fact that you don't have a lot of free time, but do you listen to any podcasts or are there any book recommendations, things that you've enjoyed over the years?
1: Um, so I am uh, a big biography person. Uh, I love biographies. I love learning about, um, you know, people that have come before. I've been a little bit down a, a Churchill rabbit hole um, lately. and. Uh, just read a book about Churchill's finances, which are fascinating. He was always broke. Um, yeah. Um, and the book is called, um, no more champagne, uh, because at times like he, his champagne bill was so high. And, um, you know, so, so that's been really, uh, you know, going down, down that, uh, rabbit hole with him and, um, biography on Edison was one of the best I've read. um, yeah I just love learning about people and um how they've done some some crazy things um in the
2: past.
0: What's interesting is your career is so based on the future. I feel yeah. like what you're doing is so cutting edge so learning from the past and then applying that, I'm sure there's some there's some science in there to have there, there's 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 brain. so
1: much pattern matching between you know oh that that's a great um you know, precedent to what we're doing, and especially with with our industry, construction, a lot of industries are three five steps ahead of us. So you look at automotive, you look at aerospace; like there are playbooks from those industries that we can use uh, in our industry, just because we haven't done them yet. Um, and I, I love having almost the cheat sheet from you know other industries or other people's lives that I can bring into how I think about problems.
0: And I bet your time at Sidewalk Labs gave you something so different because it was just out of the traditional real estate world yeah. that you were able to kind of see, like think outside of the box and think about what's possible and reimagine something.
1: It, it, it gave you um, permission to think from a first principles basis, which is very, very not typical in construction. Right? Tip- uh, construction is very based on precedent. What did you do in the last project? What did you do the last time? How did your investors think about this, you know, the last deal you did with them? And Sidewalk really allowed us to think, if you break this problem down to the first principles elements, like what are we solving and how do we build it? Using the approach that we have today, which is technology, instead of like the, the constant evolution or lack of evolution uh, that we've seen in our industry.
0: That's great. So tell me a little bit about the best, the most fun deal or challenge you've, you've accomplished, things you've achieved in your career.
1: Ooh. Um, what do you most I have I have been very lucky on the physical projects that I've worked on. Like, you know, I, I've worked on the tallest modular tower in North America, the Barclays Center, the Nassau Coliseum, was at sidewalk during the period where we were creating this vision for a new district in Toronto and then led the terminal warehouse job, a uh, you know, 1.2 million square foot restoration of restoration and overbuild of one of the coolest buildings in New York. And now I run assembly. So like all the physical stuff has been awesome. Um, and I think each has has taught me something different, but what I love is having the physical, you know, buildings that i've worked on exist and um that's been the best just like having the physical asset there but like i worked on that and like you know even for Barclay center where I joined at the very end and I worked on like small things, but all my friends joke like, yeah, the only thing that Andrew did in the Barclays Center was help procure the trash cans. But like, you know, (laughs) it it, it was, you know, I have a stamp on it. I have a piece of it. And um, it was very exciting to be a part of all of those projects
0: over the last 10 years. That's my favorite thing about real estate is it's so tangible. And it's so like, (laughs) you know, you can step into it and just feel like I did this and I built this and I'm really excited to hopefully get to come and tour your first project because I think that it's going to just be phenomenal to see what you what you guys have achieved. So obviously you must be must be doing a lot of hiring. Tell me a little bit about what you look for when you when yeah. you hire.
1: Yeah. So we as a company, we're about 50 people right now and because we're somewhere between architecture, engineering and construction, and manufacturing and real estate, like we have all these different poles. We try to bring in like people from those industries and then bring them together and find, uh, you know, the assembly way. So, um, you know, we try to have people on every team with one of those backgrounds that represent those stakeholders. So, um, you know, from an industry perspective, people with experience in real estate, people with experience in architecture. Uh, construction, people experience in manufacturing, aerospace, automotive. Um, But really like the big thing that we sort of like screen for is alignment with the mission. Um, And people need to understand what it means to join a startup that's trying to change construction. Like construction is a multi-trillion dollar industry with a ton of inertia to stay on a certain pathway. And from our perspective, we want people that the challenges that we're going to hit are not going to knock them down, but embolden them and get them excited and learn from failures and 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 keep going and, and energize through the challenge. Um, and that's you know not for everyone, but it, the people that agree with the mission, align with the mission, and also are sort of energized by challenges and going against the status quo is, is sort of what makes the most successful people here.
0: I love that. So how, do you have an interview question or a way that you kind of cut to the chase? I don't want you to give away your special sauce, but I'm curious if there's something that you, that you can gauge.
1: You know, I, I try to dive into the sort of like why assembly question, uh, and like get beyond the, 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 surface answer. um, And then I also try to get people to like project their vision of their career. So like, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? And like the answer doesn't have to be a role. It doesn't have to be uh, you know uh, a role even in my company or our company, but I want to get how they think about evolution of their career and what they, they see like, You know, people that might respond with like a very rigid pathway, like in two years, I want to make, you know, senior associate and like step up. I'm like, okay, we don't have those pathways written right now. Like, um, But the people that are more around like, I want to be making an impact on blank. That's a very good signal. Um, So how how they think about future looking things. Um, And also just how do they approach problems and how are they, um, are they, kind of what I said, like demobilized by difficult situations or energized by them and, and testing that out.
0: And so kind of to the students who are listening, um, or young folks who are thinking about getting into something like this. Yeah. What advice would you give, you know, young Andrew, 20-year-old Andrew at Wharton, who is trying to figure out where to go and what to do?
1: Ooh, yeah. Okay. Great question. So uh, I kind of, we, we have a couple interns this year and I'm wondering, I'm trying to remember what I've said to them, but um, I think find something that you can get energized around um, and then make that into your career. And like, it, it's not, it, it's sort of like the cliche, like do what you love and it becomes your job, but it's it's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to make the point that everything from a career perspective is not always going to be easy, but you need to have the long game and the interest and sort of like, what is your purpose? What is your mission to get through a lot of those challenges, right? If you're just doing it to go through the motions, you're going to hit walls and you're not going to want to move through them. But if you're doing it for the right reasons and the right reasons are different from everyone, for everyone, that will allow you to actually move through the challenges Um, So a lot of people like, you know, the the interns that we have, they're very, very motivated on the sustainability front. Um, And that is what is like really keeping them going. And and how do you solve such a big, hairy challenge? Um, And I think they've found that they can do that at assembly. Um, So, yeah, that's how I think about it.
0: Those interns are pretty lucky to get a front row seat to what's happening over there.
1: Yeah. 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 They are. They are. It's, it, it, we're keeping them busy though. Um, yeah,
0: that, that's great. So any plans for the weekend? I, Emily?
1: um, I have a friend's engagement party that I'm going to, um, and yeah, laying low, uh, hopefully not working too much. Uh, but that, that I always have that hope and it never pans out.
0: <laughs> Thus, the life of the entrepreneur, right? Yes,
1: exactly. Exactly. But I love it keeps me keeps me on my toes
0: thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today andrew i would love to maybe have you back after you're done with the project yeah <laughs> catch up and see how it went and see the feedback you're getting because it really sounds like you're doing something pretty incredible and our world really needs it